everyone. It's Lynn McKinley from the Willow Creek Ward. Willow Creek Speaks is a podcast where we learn more about the lives of our fellow ward members. As we know and understand each other better, we can better love and serve one another. Thank you for listening. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening and checking in with us on Willow Creek Speaks yet again. I am here, it's evening time, with the best member of our ward. You're going to love this. It's Charles Wu, Kim's other half, and this is really going to be a great conversation as Charles has a background that nobody else, I can guarantee, in the ward has in that you grew up in Singapore. So, Charles, thank you so much for coming over tonight. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. Oh, I'm just, I'm thrilled. And we just want to talk about where you grew up in Singapore. And I've got questions in my mind, but I'm going to just let you go ahead and start. Yeah, so born and raised in Singapore. So Singapore is a really small country. It's kind of like the southern tip of the Asian continent, kind of, right down in Southeast Asia. Um, so I was born and raised there. My parents was also born there, but my grandparents immigrated from southern China, from uh, Guangzhou is the sure. place we're from. Yeah. So, yeah, I was born and raised there. Um, it's a really small country. Um, it's probably forty miles across and maybe twenty miles like going up bottom to top. And so, really small country, but there's probably like four to five. Back when I was there, it was probably four to five million people. So you can imagine that it's crowded. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. They, everything just built up, kind yep. of. Um, kind of a dense city. Yeah, they, they call it a Asian city a city state city. Yeah. because it's just one city in the whole country. Yeah. And it's just Singapore. So. Okay, so two things I have, okay, yes. right off the top of my head. One, can you chew gum in Singapore? So You can't spit it out. You can't buy it. They don't sell it. They don't sell gum. They don't sell gum. Um you can, a lot of people go to, because we're connected to Malaysia by like a bridge. So yeah. people drive across and buy gum in Malaysia, bring it back and they chew it. If you get caught spitting it out or like sticking it, littering, that's what they say, they call it. And um, then you get punished. You get fined. You get fined. How much is the fine? About 100 Maybe, bucks? Uh, probably more. Probably like 500 bucks. Probably 500 bucks yeah. for spitting out your gum. Yes. Probably not a bad rule. When it's, you consider all the times you've reached under a table yeah. or a desk and have found an old wad of gum. Yes. Oh, so is the does that kind of reflect how clean this city yes. is? So, so Singapore is uh, it's known as the fine city in that you get fined for it. Oh, okay. okay. And also because it's also very clean, and because it's such a small country, the government is able to really like make everything look nice. There's a lot of like, are there a lot of rules and regs. For example, can you? walk across the street without you're not you're not supposed crosswalk? to okay right? it's kind of the same like jaywalking yeah there's, basically there's an there's a fine for any offense in the country right. so it's just whether you get caught or the law enforcement decides to enforce it and actually are there some oddball rules and regulations that we would sound kind of weird to us gum is definitely the, gum <laughs> the is pretty odd. One. yeah um I don't think so. I think um, there probably is, but I'm just not. And maybe because I grew up there, it's just... And you were a rule-abiding family, and you probably yeah, didn't I have mean, to yeah. get fined a lot. Yeah. Okay, second thing comes to mind. 
is Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. And that just made us all fascinated with Singapore because it looked like such an elegant city. I mean, amazing food, just beautiful. Is that kind of how it is? That is kind of how it is. I think... And so the way the country is, is that this closer to like the center south of the city is where the kind of the city center is and all the business district, all the shop, the huge shopping malls and everything is there. And so in crazy rich Asians, that picture of like that hotel is called Marina Bay Sands. It's the hotel with like a boat on the top. Yeah. And so that's like that most iconic kind of building in Singapore right now. Yeah. And so that's there. And that's actually, that was actually constructed well. When I was on my mission, so I came back from my mission, I was just like, what is, what is this <laughs> huge yeah. building here? And so, yeah, so it is very grand. There is a lot of, it's, a, it's an expensive city. You know, it's, uh, um, I think they were recently, Singapore is actually ranked the most expensive city in the world recently. Because really? the cost of living, food real is, estate. yeah, real estate is very expensive. Cars are very, very expensive because they put a very high tax on cars because they, they want, want to, in there. exactly yeah. they want to discourage people from getting cars and the public transportation is great so there really isn't a reason to get cars besides convenience you know? yeah okay. um but yeah it's a uh, high standard of living high cost of living and probably the average salary there is pretty high um i think there there is class disparity so the rich oh, there the are very rich. Okay. And that's that's the people that you're seeing crazy rich agents. Is okay. It? Yeah. People, Not a big middle class, maybe. Yeah. And then there's China, Yep. And then there's just like average people with kind of average jobs. Okay. So you're born in Singapore. Are your parents members of the church? Yes. So my mom was actually one of the pioneer members of the church in Singapore. Okay. Missionaries tracked them to her and she joined the church when she was uh, 14. Um, and she was probably like the first... 20 members Seriously? in the church yeah and then my dad also joined the church later on but so they met in church they met um, in church yep so okay you're in an asian country where like you don't even believe in god right so how do you function in such a interesting american-born faith in singapore yeah so i mean for me Personally, just I grew up in church, right? So it's kind of what I knew. But yeah, a lot of my friends were atheists. You know, I think sure. Singapore has a very it's a very um, work driven kind of culture okay. where everybody's just like yeah. busy yeah. working, making money. This yeah. Asian, Asians love money, so that's sure. that's kind of a big culture yeah. there. And so people really don't really have time for religion, and so. As you can imagine, in a place like Singapore, I said like four or five million people, there's one stake, you know. One stake. Just one stake. And so basically you go to school and you're the only member in your whole school. And so all your friends are, have, I mean, there are other beliefs. Singapore, the I would say in terms of the racial makeup, the majority are ethnically Chinese. Okay. And are followed by Malays from Malaysia. And then... Uh, Indians and then the rest are a lot. There are a lot of Eurasians because we used to be a British colony, so there are a lot of Europeans okay. over there. Yeah. So, did you speak um, Cantonese or Mandarin in the home? No, so I spoke English. So, really? Yes. So my so because we were used to be a British colony, my parents all grew up in school. In school, when they grew up, they were and all they taught. Were all everything English is in English. School. Yeah. Okay. And so I grew up speaking 
English at home. In school, from grade one to eleven, we have to take a second language, and so I I learned Mandarin. Okay. Wasn't good at it. Did not like learning it. You didn't. You no, didn't I have didn't. an affinity for it. No, like I was calling. It to was you. very. I was very bad at it, and I always joke that I was told I'm, I'm never going to use this language. You know. Yeah. And then we'll get into it later, but I get sent to Taiwan on my mission. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you did have to a need for it. What was your childhood like? Was it just a very normal LDS childhood? Did you have family home evening and scripture study and all that stuff? Or I would say my so my my mom was a very strong member of the church. She was she held a lot of uh, leadership callings. You know, state youngest president, state religious society president, um, and so they they did try to do like family home evening trip. Family scripture study, family prayer, but um, I think my my dad was a little more laid back, more uh-huh. casual. I mean, we we still always went to church, and he held callings, but it was really my mom who was kind of the one who was like driving okay. that. Um, so I did grow up. We we were active in church. I think for me personally, it was a when I was a teenager. Then I kind of had like. One side of me that, if I mean, if you talk to people in my homework growing up, they would say, "Oh yeah, Charles is a good kid." So that was like the side that I kind of presented yeah, yeah at church, yeah. and then the other side was the one that kind of rebellious, kind of just doing stuff with my friends that yeah probably isn't really normal church- teenage stuff. Yeah, yeah, but not LDS. Not not LDS appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's- well, no problem. Uh, siblings? Yes, I have two brothers, an older and a younger brother. Okay. And so my younger brother lives in Utah, and my older brother actually, who lives to live up in Westminster, actually moved back to Singapore. Oh, he did? Four, yeah, four or five years ago. So are you a close-knit family? Are you kind of American-like, like the family you and Kim have now, or were you... Was there an Asian aspect I, to it? And not like Asians don't have close families. They do. No, there, there, I feel like the, the, the Asian family culture is that there is always kind of a barrier between the children and the parents. I've never, like, I've never heard my dad say I love you to me. I've never said I love you to my dad. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, even it took, even from us sons to our mom, we rarely said I love you because that's, in in the Asian culture, you, that's, you don't really express love okay. that openly. Okay. Um, uh, physical affection, hugs. Yeah, we do, we do hugs. Okay. So, right. but yeah, but I mean, growing up, it was it was definitely a more like me and my younger brother were more difficult children for my parents, uh-huh. um, and so there there was I mean, looking back when I was, when I was coming for this, I was like, there is there are a lot of uh, bad memories, you know, just growing up in a in a household like that where um, I mean, obviously times have changed, but capital punishment like hitting your kids and things like back when i was in singapore in elementary school and i guess we call it secondary school it's like middle school uh, but if you did something wrong you brought up in the front of like the whole assembly and the teacher just hits you with a ruler oh, and, oh that's, really? and that's okay. just like common that's just how it yeah, was back then yeah, yeah. obviously now things have changed because you know well listen i grew up in washington and you know, a kid got hauled to the office. You knew that he's going to get swatted with a paddle, but not in front of everyone. Yeah. So did that happen to you? Um, yes, it did happen to me in school once. I believe I, I 
do not remember what I did. But yes, this happened to me in school and obviously and at home. And it happened a lot at home. Was so it? Oh, really? Yeah. Pretty uh, traumatizing? I wouldn't say trauma. It was, uh, it's, I mean, to say it, it's very sad. It's just like just it's part it of is. growing up. Yeah. Uh, I think okay. part, part of me definitely did kind of compartmentalized it. Sure. Because uh, I mean, I just had a memory of that how the, my mom was just like spanking me one time and I just, I was just, in order to be like rebellious, I just didn't want to cry out or make any noise. Yeah. And I was just like almost like getting into a fit and because, and she just kept asking me to like cry out because she was like, she could see it. I was just like yeah. keeping it all in. If I just slap yeah, them harder, then yeah, certainly but, okay. but, but me, it's just yeah. like, no, like yeah. I don't want to give you what you're trying yes. to get out of me, you know? Yeah. Do, so. Huh. So it was kind of hard to be close to your parents. If exactly. You have those barriers. Yep. Interesting. And you're probably completely different with your daughters now. And that's, that's hard. It's hard because, and and the thing is growing up, just having that experience, like I, I knew that when I became a dad, that I was like, I'm, I'm obviously I'm never going to hit the kids. Right. Yeah. And, but then there's also that, that discipline that I kind of expect because that was what was expected of me growing up. Yeah. And so sometimes just raising our kids, I mean, Kim is born here. That's she's used to the culture Southern here, California. Exactly. Yeah. So there is there is just this difference, and sometimes, and I'm definitely the one in charge of discipline at home. You know, are you? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my dad grew up in um, eastern part of the United States, and a very sent off to boarding school at age twelve. He, as soon as he got home from boarding school, oh, you're turning around, you're going to summer camp for six weeks. I mean, just did not see his parents. Nanny in the home, cook in the home, was put to bed before his dad got back. Hated it so much. And moved to Seattle, Washington. I mean, like as far away as he could get. And turned that around and was a great hands-on dad to me. And I, not a perfect man by any means, but I commend anybody who has to completely make it up when they're being the parent because they don't want to copy things that maybe they had in the home growing up. And so hats off to you because that's not easy. You kind of do what your parents do or did, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it, I think it's true. I, and I'm, and just to clarify, my, my parents... They, uh, we're great parents. We're great parents. They yeah. provide everything for us. It's just yes. the culture and yeah, but I... Think what you said is right you just kind of like cherry pick what at least what i did is i cherry pick like what my parents did well and then yeah everything else that is kind of maybe i, I see you know other friends families and see how they're, right. they're treated and that's like oh yeah. i want to you know off to you that, so yes um so um oh, i had a, a question right in my mind but so you're going through um middle school and you're going through high school and just kind of finding your way any faith development during that time, or was that one of the rebellious buttons you could push? Yeah, that that was definitely one of the things that was kind of like my escape. It's just like yeah, not doing know. that. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, I mean, I had perfect seminary attendance because my mom was a seminary teacher, and okay. so for like three out of my four years, I would wait up. a minute. Was seminary in your home? No. So we all go to kind of same thing here. We just go to our state center and. You did? Yeah. Okay. But um, my mom was a seminary teacher, and so every morning we get up at 4.30. The seminary started at uh, 5.45 back then, and so we got up at 4.30, and 
when, when it's on when it's <laughs> And then was school pretty stringent back then? Or was it kind of a Chinese model? Yeah, so Singapore follows the, the British education system. Um, there are a lot of uh, nationalized national exams, like okay. standardized exams. And so there's kind of the reason why I, I like raising my kids here. Because in Singapore, everything is very driven on merit, right? Yeah. And so at grade six, so grade one to grade six is called primary school. At grade six, you take a national exam. And based on your scores, it determines what secondary school is seven through 10. So it yeah. depends what secondary school. Yeah. And that, which school you go to determines the quality of education you get. The teachers, the funding, everything is kind of set. So if you are, I would say, a late bloomer, let's say you wouldn't earn good at studying at a young age, automatically you get sent back because you get yeah. sent to a not as good school. And so, and then at grade 10, there's another national like, exam. Everyone takes the same exam and then you get scores and it determines whether you get into junior college, which is grade 11 and 12. Yeah. Or you go to a kind of like technical trade school. Yeah. You know, my son, Matthew, went to um, Beijing for a number of years, starting at 14 and got connected with the family. And I remember he would always come home and there was a boy his age about how stressful school was and these standardized exams and determining the course of his yeah. education. My assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you probably did pretty well academically. I, I, well, I did enough. I, did I, enough. I, okay. I would say I did enough to get into a better, I would say the probably a top 10 school Yeah. Um, to my secondary school. And then um, obviously for junior college, then I, and it's just it's just so competitive, you know. And yeah. so you have to really be really book smart and just like study really hard. Yeah. And so out of like me and all of my brothers and I am probably the least naturally smart, but I'm harder working than my younger brother. Yeah. And so I kind of like landed in, in between. Yeah. So Yeah, good for you. One last question about your parents before we move on to maybe your college admission life. Were you guys wealthy? We were, uh, we were definitely upper average. I would say we were upper. Were you in an apartment class. or? We were in a con condo. In a condo. Yeah. So. Like a big condo. It's privately owned, which is rare in Singapore. The government actually owns a lot of the land. Oh, really? And they built public housing for for like better term. It's basically apartments, and so. So when, would you pay rent to the government? Yeah. So. Uh, for the public housing, you would pay like that's part of your mortgage. Yeah. But the thing is. A lot of times, the the government only leases out the land they yeah. build the thing out for ninety nine years, and so after yeah. the ninety nine years, they technically could take it back. Yeah. Um. So we lived in a private condo, so we actually owned like that yeah. piece, wow. and it's not owned there. So we're definitely very blessed, and you know, my my dad worked hard, and so we 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 were definitely better off. I picture it because I went into Ben James's condo in Hong Kong. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely stunning, and it was huge, and it had all these bedrooms, and it was just lovely view and everything like that. So that's kind of what I'm picturing. Might not be as grand as that, because in Hong Kong, I think there's uh, like the really nice places are really, really, really expensive. I think Hong Kong real estate is a lot more expensive than Singapore. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all crazy expensive. Yes. So you get out of, I guess, high school, or when do you start college? So. Um, 
So in Singapore, all after finishing grade 12, which is probably okay. junior, junior college for okay. us, um, all males actually have to do a mandatory two years of military oh, service. That's right. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, so it's just kind of you just know it's coming and... Do you have to sign up or are you just no, given you are, a paper and you are, show up here? Yeah, you you get sent a letter and said, all right, report on this date. And if you don't show up, you uh, go to jail. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so after high school, then we just, we all just all go to basic military training. And then from there, we basically get sent to different units, different. So I was part of the combat engineer unit. Um, and so after you get assigned to your unit, you just go there and you take courses. And uh-huh. so for, I would say for the first three months, you're just in like, and when you're in basic training, you're just in camp the whole time. You don't get to go after that. Besides the courses you attend, you actually do get to go home every weekend. Okay. So it's just like a Monday. Is basic days. training like basic training here? Is it really rigorous? Yeah. It's an, obviously it's a, it's a big culture shock for everyone, right? When you have all you the like, freedom you have in yeah. school and then suddenly you're just like in a very regimented, in the military, right? Yeah. You just get. I mean, is someone shouting in your face? Yes. Yeah. Orders? Yeah. Are and you getting up carrying 50 pound packs at yeah, 4 a.m. and. They call you to yeah. They call you to just like in the middle of the night. They can just tell you to come down off your bunk and off you go. Unpack your stuff and just they inspect it, pack it back in. Okay, you can go back up now. And so there's just a lot of unreasonable, I guess, requests as we expect it, just to kind of instill that discipline. Yeah, break you down, and you're gonna obey obey orders. Yep. Did you thrive in that kind of environment? Were you a pretty disciplined guy or did you like this is awful. I was I think I was pretty disciplined, although I did um develop um uh, a kind of skew skew view on authority because yeah. the, I mean uh, the people that are commanding me and telling me to do things is like, well, I'm I'm smarter than you, I'm fitter than you. Yeah. Like why sh- do I need to the only reason I need to listen to you is because you've been here longer than I have. Yeah. That's and, essentially it. And right? you can punish me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, um, but I th- I was fit, so I didn't, the physical thing wasn't an issue. Um, so it's just, for me, it's just, just wow. going along and, you know, just like yeah. serving up your Yeah, time you got to get through it, is. right? There's no choice here. So what did you like most about those two years? I think there is a, there is a brotherhood. For okay. the people that you, they use, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's this that you surf with because you go through all the crap together yeah, and you absolutely. just, you just bond in a way that no, even now, like it's been like what, almost 20 years, but I still keep in contact with the people that, uh, that were in my, the same, my same, uh, squad because you just go through so much together yeah. and you complain together. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's just so many memories that happen. So just having that, just having that sense of just like, that, that brotherhood that you have with all the other guys was probably my, my favorite memory from just my time Sweet. There. Yeah. Um, and you were on a rowing team. Yes. Yeah, so in high school, I did a lot of uh, paddle sports, so like sprint kayaking. And then there's a traditional, is it more Asian sport called Dragon Boat. Um, so there's like Dragon Boat festivals that even they have here in Denver. Oh, sure. right? mm-hmm. And so um, in the military, we have the chance to be part of like the sports association of the military okay and so when if you are good enough to get into the team then essentially the second half of your military service instead of going into the barracks for just routine duties you actually get to 
to school for training, just train like sports training. Nice. And so, probably my second year, I would yeah, the sec my second year of my military service, a lot of that time was spent um, training with a rowing team, with the dragon boat team there. And so it was like six days a week, Monday Monday through Saturday, um, like eight a.m. to twelve a.m. We're out rowing, and then we have lunch, and then one a.m. to like I'm oh, sorry, one one p.m. to five p.m. would just be gym working out in the gym and so the same group of people like the same all of us were just training together six days a week you know seven hours a day and so that's probably a bit better than the military yes <laughs> you had the first year we, we so you probably felt really fortunate yes a lot that was a that was a goal for a lot of people but you had yeah. to be good enough in a sport to be able to be selected to represent yeah. the, the the army in that so in you're a bit of an athlete yeah, growing up, I did. Wow, rowing, good so. for you. All right, so you get out of the military, and then you, what happens? Then it's uh, then I went on a mission, but um, what, like, what made you decide to go? On a yeah, because I mean, I just mentioned like growing up, it was yeah, you no, know, the not, not really space. taking exactly. Yeah, um, I think it it was always on the back of my mind about whether I wanted to serve a mission, and uh-huh. when I decided, no, well, I decided that I needed to have a testimony i needed to gain a testimony because even though i grew up in a church you know i did everything but i mean i I don't yeah wasn't really like truly converted and so it's just i just one day i was just doing my father say hey you know i i want to know if this is true and if it's true i'm going on a mission and so i was just reading the book of mormon and then i was just after i read it i was praying and then just a thought came to mind it wasn't like a Big no revelation. Sure. The thought just came to mind is like, you know that this how can uh, how can a fourteen year old boy write this book? You know how can yeah. Joseph Smith write this book? Yeah. And I, I I'm a very logical person, and so obviously the first vision was very hard for me for sure. being a very logical person to just like, oh, did this really happen? But it was really through the Book of Mormon and just believing that you no, know, this this is really truly is in a record of an ancient people. And if this, if I believe that this is a true record, then Joseph Smith has to be a prophet, the true prophet, and this truth has to be true. So, you know, I follow that same logic. I went through the the Book of Mormon. I Joseph Smith, he's got to work out his own salvation like anybody else. But I can read this book, and if it's true and it came through his translation, then he must be a prophet. I don't have to worry so much about. Him per se. So very cool. So you put in your mission papers. Yeah. And had your parents been kind of encouraging you to serve a mission? Did your older brother go on a mission? Yeah, my older brother went on a mission. So they, it, it was definitely expected in a way. Obviously, okay. with, I feel like most most boys in church, you kind of are expected yeah. to go on a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were never going to force me. It was still like, we, we want you to go, but... Yeah. This is ultimately this. You have, you still have to decide where you want to go. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah. So I told them I was going on a mission, and so we put in the mission papers. And, and you get called to Taiwan. What did you think when you opened your mission? I just thought it was oh. funny because I was like, like Heavenly Father knew that I didn't like Mandarin, <laughs> and so to get sent Mandarin speaking it was kind of like karma for me. It's just like. Is what you get when you try to neglect the language, the second language that you've been learning like your whole life, essentially. Did you love your mission in Taiwan? It was, um, 
It was a it was a heart mission. The the best way I can describe it the describe it is, is that I I grew so much from my mission. But then if you if you ever ask me if I want to go if I would go and serve again, I don't know if I would. Okay, good. Honest answer. Yeah. Thank you. Um but because before my mission I was actually very and I still kind of am I was very introverted. Even going up to a counter at McDonald's and ordering food, I would get super nervous and I have to re- rehearse what I, I'm going to yeah. say in my mind, you know? Sure. And so my mission really kind of changed. I feel, of course, like you have to speak to random people in the street. And so it really changed that. And so as a person, I definitely grew a lot in mission and obviously my spiritual knowledge. And I, I, I did see very cool things on my mission and I, I love Taiwan. Um, but yeah, mission was hard. It was in... Uh, didn't have a ton of success. Um, I had actually had a recent convert commit suicide, like a transfer after he got baptized. It was that was a that was a rough experience. And then um, four months, so my third transfer on my mission. Then part of that rowing team and in, in the military, I had actually got a call from mission president to come to the mission office. This is like like nine thirty at night, which and so when you hear that, it's just like. Something's up. something's up. Like yeah. <laughs> you don't get called to the mission office that late at night. And he sat me down and he just like said, like, hey, your, your mom called. Um, some of your friends were at a race. The boat there was an accident, um, some of them drowned. And so yeah, it was it was hard because I was I mean, I just started my mission, right? And so yeah. these are friends and teammates who are like so close with you just spend so much time together training that's together. right that you had just left yes yeah i just left and so not being able to be there to see the situation not not being able to attend the funerals my mom also like she probably shouldn't have done it but i'm grateful that she did but she like cut out all the newspaper clippings over the coverage over that because it was like a it's a big thing in singapore um and sent me that and so i was very very homesick and and i kind of felt as like what am I doing here like should I have came out you know like I want to be with them I want to be rest my teammates who are still like going like grieving yeah grieving over this um and like a no I I after a while when this happened after all this happened um I thought about like if I didn't go on a mission there was a good chance that I would be at that race and I would have been in that I I would be in the boat that capsized and I would be in the water and who knows like you know so you've got a thousand thoughts going through your mind and tons of emotions. Yeah. So it was it was hard for me to kind of refocus yeah. on the mission because that like such a big part of me was gone and I back home. Yeah. And I just couldn't have closure because I couldn't see anything there. It was just Did the mission president try to counsel you or try to yeah. offer you some help? I would say that I and like obviously the night that he that he brought me in and told me he he just like gave me time to kind of like grief you yeah. know and um, we had like interviews with him right later in that transfer and he kind of just gave me a blessing and said like you know like to kind of refocus on the work but I think a, a, what I gather from the, that experience as well is when I started my mission I always felt that I don't have. I am, I'm unable to relate to people who have suffered loss in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And now I, now I have now this I'm experience. Like now, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of like. A, what piece a of the gospel helped you or helps you now kind of manage that tragedy? 
uh, plan on salvation. You know, just just knowing that, you know, that eventually yeah. we'll most we'll, we'll be able to see all of them again. And so, no, I'm kind of the same way. When I look at all the unfairness in the world, I'm like, if this life was the only thing there is, then it's dang unfair. And knowing that we're only in part two of a three part act helps. Yeah. Right. That this is a an important period of time, but it's not the only period of time. Wow. How, how long did it take for you to just kind of turn that around on your mission and be able to kind of share the joy of the gospel? Let me tell you, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I would say maybe a year in. Yeah. Here, like probably halfway through my mission. Yeah, so another eight months. To just yeah. And I think there's, and obviously this. there are other circumstances that kind of helped me get there. Yeah. Um, like we were talking about me kind of having like this, like not really respecting authority in the military, right? Yeah. And so, because for me, and even to like some extent to this day, I, I view leaders as some, I respect leaders when I feel that they are worthy of my respect. Meaning they have experience and they're qualified, you know, and so um, I never felt that I was a great, I was great at missionary work. And so when I was called to be district leader, I struggled really hard because I didn't have like many investigators. And here I am supposed to train these other missionaries on how to be good missionaries. I was just like, I can't do this. And so I struggled a lot when I was in, uh, when I was a district leader. And so much so that I basically told my mission president, like, hey, I, I want to be released because I, I, this this is like too much stress yeah. for me, right? Because I don't think I'm good at this. How can I, I don't think I'm qualified to lead. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of around the midpoint of my mission. And so I actually, because I was old enough to obviously when you're kind of senior enough mission, you'll be from district leader zone yeah. leader. And so I was a regular senior companion and I was super happy. <laughs> I'm just like, no pressure and yeah. actually so after that happened I think I saw actually saw the most success and even my mission president like coming towards the end of the mission he said hey I noticed that you, you're seeing more baptisms now that you now that you yeah. kind of like don't have that yeah that you, you take that monkey off and now you can maybe yeah. focus on more of the work okay so what point in your mission did you meet a particular character <laughs> um it, it was probably close to like the middle of my mission and I was, I was just in, I don't know what she was talking about, how she, we were in like the main stick center beside the temple. Mm-hmm. And I saw her and I, cause her trainer was actually a sister that came on close to when I came on. So I already knew her trainer. And so I said hi to the trainer and then saw her and then she we shook hands and she was like, oh, ooh, do you have a brother at BYU? And then that's how we made the connection that okay. she knew my brother. But it really didn't start a mission because we were in completely different zones, completely yeah. different areas. Sure, and so, sure that, yeah. So how did you and Kim get together? At, was it at BYU? Yes. So we were both in the Asian ward at BYU. Okay, there you go. And so yeah, that's, and even then it, it was, it was not like a, when she came, because I, I came, I got off six months before she did, but it wasn't, it was definitely not an instant attraction because one of my, Close friends at BYU and I went in the accounting program. He was he was in Kim's home ward, and say, "Hey, how how about you go date Kim Chang?" And I was just like, "No, Kim, I'll never date 
Oh, really? Yeah, I said that to him very clearly. And I think there was just no attraction between me and Kim when we first met. Even in, when we first started going to the Asian world together. I think it took like a year and a half before we actually thought like, hey, uh, potentially we could have something, you know, so. Seriously. Okay. Well, you obviously had something. Yes. All right. <laughs> How did you propose to Kim? Um, it was, so I actually did scrapbooking back then just for you her. Did. She No, she, so she was a big scrapbooker. And so I kind of, throughout our, our time dating, created a scrapbook of like different memories and oh, things. And then the very sweet. last page is just like the blank, no picture. And it's just like that date. And it's just like proposal or something. And then we were just in, we're actually up in San Jose, California with visiting my older brother and we just went out to like a there was a kind of a trail near a river and i gave it to her and then just we just go through the memories and until the last page and then i proposed to her and i'm sure you still have that scrapbook and it's a prominent place in your house charles that's really romantic that's really sweet and then you've been married how long um 12 years this year 12 years school she's Doing graduate school, you're doing graduate school, and you're here, there, and everywhere. And but you made it work. Yeah, and I think you guys yeah. are very supportive of each other. Um, tell us about your education. I think you have an MBA. I have a master's in accounting. Oh, master's in accounting. Yeah. Is that what you do now? Um, no, I do more financial analysis, financial forecasting, budgeting. So for the, companies, or yes, okay, for companies. Um, so I went to after mission. I went to BYU and. My goal was always the accounting program there. It's, okay. it's like yes, it's outstanding top, program. Top three in the nation. Yeah. Um, and so I typically you get into accounting program in your junior year uh-huh. because I started yeah. school so late. And I did two years of military and then two years mission. Yeah. I was turning 23 when I started BYU. Yeah. Freshman. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to just get this done. And so I did all the prerequisite classes for the accounting program my freshman year. And then I applied to get into the program my sophomore year. And initially, they rejected me and said, hey, you, you should do some of your general yeah. education requirements yeah. first and sit. And I just laid out my plan for them say, hey, I want to I wanna finish because BYU offers a, a joint bachelor's and master's in accounting yeah. within yeah. five years. So I want to do it in four. And so I just laid out my plan for them and say, I'm going to take oh. spring or summer terms. I'm going to just take classes. So I think I'll... Load up and- yeah, and so all my four years at BYU, I probably only had three spring or summer terms off. And I was just in school taking classes the rest of the time. And so um, so I, man- I did manage to graduate in four years with the mess- doing wow. the master's as well. Um, and I started my career in one of the big four accounting firms. That's kind of yeah. like where they push yeah. you to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized pretty quickly that's not what I wanted to do. It's um, too long of hours or? It's too long of hours and it's just not my interest. Yeah. I always joke about my, my second week on the job. I was just like, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my career. <laughs> Oops. But it's it's such a good thing on your resume yeah. to have. And so I I stayed there for almost three years yeah. before I finally left. And, and did something. Yep. Yeah, because accounting really is broader than I think the average person thinks. And that you can get into areas that you're not just in a room looking at figures 
and uh yeah i mean there's there's they say that because i do more a lot more finance work right now and say that they that, uh, yeah. an accounting person can easily transition to finance but it's hard for a finance person to yeah. transition to accounting because okay. they call accounting the the language of business because you yeah. can read all like the financial reports financial statements and so that and then just you just work so much in spreadsheets yeah and that skill is very transferable to a lot of other yeah good for jobs, you so. good for you and then you and kim wanted to get out of southern california and you tried out denver because i think her brother was here or something yeah. she shared that and um and you love it here and we love having you here let's talk about a little bit about being a dad what how is that for you it's a uh, it's great but it's hard it's i i didn't i my mental health suffered a lot when I had kids because I am I'm an introvert and I need time to myself. I need time and space, right? Yeah. My personal time and space. When you have a kid, you don't really get space to yourself. <laughs> there's no time and there's no space. Yeah. yeah. So it was hard for me, yeah. especially not not so much with Toriel. This when when we had Izzy, which is why you said you're just. <laughs> Yes. Okay, uh, let me tell you a story, ward members, for those of you who maybe were at this Sunday meeting or who maybe moved in the ward after. So they have their second baby, and you get up at testimony meeting, and you share, and it's just the most darling way how you and Kim cried yourself to sleep every night after having that second kid. And we all just fell in love with you that day because you were just so honest because it's so overwhelming to have a baby because they're always up all night and sleep all day. Yeah. So talk a little it, bit about that. It was hard. And I, th- I think with having Izzy, and I think we had a rough start because Kim was sick at the hospital and then Tori got a ear infection shortly after we brought to- oh. Izzy back from the hospital. And so we were obviously super tired because yeah. we have a newborn. And then Tori was sick and so she was also not helping. And so yeah. it was just... I remember that we we had a close friends, the Haywoods, they used to be in then Willow Creek for a couple yeah. of years. Um, Ashley, she brought, was bringing dinner over for us one day. And when we saw her, like Kim and I would just, we almost just like broke down crying in front of her because... We laugh now. Yeah. <laughs> when you're exhausted, your emotions, you can't have no control. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, it was, a, it was a hard time and just the, the transition from one to two kids, right? You yeah. used to be able to, you know take turns yeah you know, that's right and now yeah. it's just like well no one of you has to be the <laughs> all the time um and so yeah it's uh it was it was hard for me because like i said it's, i need it sometimes i just need my personal space and with kids yeah. you don't really get that yeah um but obviously eventually they they grow older yeah. and they they learn how to entertain themselves too and so that you get, you get a, a smidgen of time so let's talk about what you like to do with that time um so before so back when i had kids when, when we first had kids i was i did play i did play video games just because it's kind of like i can be at home we can still be available the kids yeah, crying it's still go uh-huh. right um before we had kids i actually liked to cycle like road bike yeah. a lot um but after we had kids i didn't couldn't do it anymore. I actually sold my bike um, and bought a lousier bike just to tow a trailer. Yeah, essentially. Um, but now, I was actually this past year, I was actually got a gravel bike. Excellent. That's that's what I've been doing more now because I think cycling for me is allows me to kind of get away, right? 
And yeah. so kind of just kind of, I wouldn't say get lost, but like one of the rights I like to do as training is uh, up Deer Creek Canyon. Yeah. And so you just, I've a lot of times that. you're just yeah. alone by yourself and you just have time to think and you just kind of just like. To process and it's beautiful and yeah, yeah. good and, for you. And so that that's what I've, that's kind of like what I like to do now. Oh, that's great. Uh, any favorite TV shows or food or books? Are you a reader like Kim? Or? I, I am not a reader, yeah, unfortunately. That's okay. It's all Kim. Yeah. Um, TV shows, um, I, I can always watch The Office. That's okay, oh, you really? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because I get so embarrassed when I watch it. The I first know. time I watched The Office, I had to leave the room. It's very yeah. cringy. Yeah. Definitely. There are moments that, like, something that Michael Scott does, that's like, oh my gosh. Oh, like, <laughs> but yeah, I, I watch, watch The I can, Office. Yeah, like, I, I watch Seinfeld. Like, I can watch yeah. 10 times over and I still laugh. Yeah. Yep. Good for so, you. Yeah, that, that would be a, the kind of the go to TV show. It I can always watch it. Yeah. Um, food. I I understand your father's a fabulous cook. My fa- my, yeah, my dad is a really good cook. Right. Um, I, and you're a pretty good cook too, Kim has mentioned. I'm, I'm decent at what I, I, I think like me and Kim, we both have like our specialties. And so we, we you're just a great have that. Team, then. Yeah. yeah. We just, oh my gosh, Asian food is the best and it's so healthy. And it involves a lot of chopping. Yes. A lot of I prep. A lot of prep. I can visualize that. Let me ask you, where are you in the gospel? Is there a principle that's speaking to you now at this stage in your life? Um, are you, uh, like Kim is a general conference. She mentioned she likes listening to general conference. Are you, are you the, in that realm or is there something I, else? Um, for me right now, I actually do. I listen to a lot of podcasts because yeah. it helps me. It's I'm, I'm struggling to kind of like be able to sit down and just like, read like, yeah. you know, scriptures or conference yeah. talk it's so i and even list sometimes listening to conference talks it's it just kind of goes in and out yep I, it's hard for me, for to me process. Too. yeah um so i've been this listening to some more church forecast podcasts uh, this like members podcast yeah to kind of they, most times it's just like come follow me and they yeah share stories experiences and that helps me it, it creates a deeper impression of me so like retain yeah. more of it yeah so is there a gospel principle that you really like or you're working on oh repentance definitely repentance. yeah cool i mean like i like shared when i was growing up that did a lot of stuff that i shouldn't have done you know true twice yeah um so just just knowing that no matter how much you messed up that if you're willing to humble yourself and kind of go to the lord and ask for forgiveness and just go through the repentance process like He's always there to welcome you back, you know, and so I love that. That's that's something that always struck me because, I mean, I I'm sure a lot of us all still struggle, right, daily, and we do, yeah, yeah. And so, having disciplined repentance is kind of gives gives me hope that no matter what, like you always have a way you back. You can refine yeah. a little bit. Let me ask you um, your relationship with your parents now. They are still in Singapore. Yep. Okay. Do you guys see each other? Yeah, we... So before we had kids, we used to go back to Singapore every other year. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time we went back was 2019. Um, yeah. And then obviously COVID and everything yeah, shut down. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So they, they did come out here to visit us for about two months last year. And that was the first time they saw Izzy. Because Izzy was a COVID baby. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. 
Um, and so, and then we're actually planning to go back next next March. Oh, you guys are going in March. Yep. Um, our relationship is good now. It's um, I think a lot of a, a big catalyst for that was actually my younger brother was probably the most rebellious out of all of us. Mm-hmm. And when he was at BYU, he hadn't got didn't go on a mission, and but he was struggling with a lot of things in his life. And my my mom was just like. Go on a mission or fix everything, mm-hmm. which I strongly disagree with. <laughs> but that's that was her. That was her. That was her approach. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we actually had a kind of like a a big family argument. Kim was there, and she was. <laughs> it was kind of like her first. It was after, shortly after we were married, you know, and yeah. Um, we had a big, really big family argument because we all. I mean, our mom did a lot of stuff to us that was not great not right? damaging yeah and we my older brother kind of led the conversation it was just like just apologize like to say you no know, apologize for what happened yeah um but in the in the asian culture the parents never apologize no. and so there was a time where it was very limited contact you know um and i think Eventually, my mom actually went to my brother, younger brother, and said, "Like you know, we love you as you are. You don't need to go on a mission, kind of thing. You know, just wow, that's a big step." Yeah, and so when I think that kind of helped my younger brother kind of let go of mm-hmm. some of that and help, and us, the other two sons as well, to kind of just like see my mom kind of let go of that pride and mm-hmm. thing, um, and so it's. It, it's a lot better now, you know, that my mom now says that she has to worry the most about my older brother rather than me and younger brother. Oh, now that we're all grown up and like all in the work, all working and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a good relationship with my parents right now. Um, obviously, it's still a struggle to keep in contact because they're yeah. like halfway across the world. Sure. Time zones are yeah. you know, way different. Um, but yeah, no, we, I actually, we actually do say I love you. Which is oh, you know, to each other. That's a just, huge step. That's a that's a yeah, huge step. milestone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. I think they've growing. Uh, I mean, after seeing us grow up and see kind of seeing us like establish ourselves, our families, they she's kind of just like you know, like I I don't I maybe I didn't need to be as hard on them as I as I was then yeah. growing up, um, and even with how rebellious they were, they still ended up. We all still got married in the temple, and they all you no know, have good educations yeah, and great good, good. spouses and yeah, great so. families. I don't know. You know, we're always it's just like repentance. We're always repentance is just growth and change, right? And and we're all on that path. That is really thank you for sharing that. I think that is just really interesting, and um, I think a lot of people can relate to that in their own way, shape, or form. So, very cool. Hey, what do you love most about the Willow Creek Board? Um, I would say the the experience of, like, a lot of board members. Um, you know, Kim and I, we're, we're kind of like one of the younger families in the mm-hmm. ward. I would say the ward's majority are either empty nesters or established families who have, like, teenagers. Right? Yeah, that's true. And so it's uh, when sometimes it's hard for us because every time a 
we have a young family that moves in. A lot of times they're just renting and then they decide to buy a house. They buy a house in Castle Rock. They buy a house That's somewhere right. else and they That's all just right. move out. Exactly. <laughs> so, Some place where they can buy a bigger exactly. house for less, <laughs> for less yeah. money. Um, but I, I think, and I'm going to share that. No, so I've had an opportunity to serve with um, in several of the current presidencies and also the bishoprics now. And just the, the wealth of knowledge and experience that I've been able to you know, absorb and just be able to listen. I think that I would say Paul Zink, you know, he was, yeah. and he was Elskorn, when they first combined the Elskorn president, yeah. Elskorn and high priest group, he was Elskorn president and I was the secretary of Elskorn. And I learned so much from him. And it's kind of unfortunate that they left when they were in the, you know, the singles ward and didn't really get a chance to really say bye. But yeah. Was, What's your calling now? I am... So I have a, my work calling is I'm assistant clerk over finance. Okay. Financial okay. Clerk. And then a stake, I'm a stake auditor. So I actually go every, every six months, I go to all the wards, like some wards and audit that they're doing. <laughs> during That's the important, project. actually. Yeah. I mean, we've, we have a great reputation of managing our funds in a, up and up way. Yep. Not all churches can claim that. So. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for that service. If you could have any calling in the church, what would it be? It's my current calling as is a work clerk. It is my dream calling. Is it and really? Yes. It is. I've held this calling maybe four times so far. So you get better um, every time. Yeah. And, you know, I hear John Ainscoff has had, used to have this calling for like yeah. 13 years. Yeah. I hope to be able to be that. So, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Very good. Your story is just fascinating. I could keep you here for another hour. I just, it's just so interesting. Um, Charles, if you could just project yourself 100 years down the road, and I'm sure there's a lot more wisdom that you, you're a young man. You've got a lot still yet to learn and experience, but what piece of advice would you give to your posterity at this point? That's a that's a good question, and I've had a lot of time to think about it. But um, I think it's kind of like what I like about the principle of repentance is that no matter what path you take, you know, in your life, doesn't matter what path you go down, that Heavenly Father is always there for you. You know, it's if you if you ever feel lost, like you know, He's always there, and I, I hope that you know that my posterity will still have the gospel and if if not that they will still be able to you know find some way to it so. have a message of hope i hope listeners you can feel the spirit that we feel in here as he shares that message of repentance and hope and change and that we're not stuck you know we can we can move forward charles Wu, you're amazing thank you so much for sharing a little of your story i just loved every word that you shared and how you shared it thank you thank you so much Thank <laughs> you.